I have really good news for all of you American landowners. Bernie Sanders staffers were recently caught on tape by Project Veritas explaining that once they come into power, they will abolish your land rights, but they will avoid trying to execute you. They say it's damaging to the soul. And there are a lot of excesses of the 1917 Russian Revolution they will try to avoid, but they don't make any guarantees. So at least you can rest comfortably knowing they might not execute you as an American landowner. And you know what? It sounds like I'm joking, doesn't it? I'm technically only joking a little bit, right? I'm being a bit facetious, but in reality, the big news right now is Project Veritas has just released an expose on two more Bernie Sanders staffers talking about how they are Marxist, Leninist, anarchist extremists, how they actually plan violent and extreme actions, but are keeping it chill for now to see if they can try and win this election. The idea being, if they can do it peacefully, then they're happy. But to them, this is the revolution. I mean, I'm pretty sure Bernie Sanders called it a revolution. He calls himself the revolutionary. So I have to wonder, why is it that after Project Veritas has exposed now four different staffers across the US, we have seen no official response? I'm also curious why there seems to be a general mainstream media blackout when this story was actually generating more engagement than the whole Bernie Warren controversy. Now, I can't tell you why the mainstream media would ignore this opportunity to go after Bernie because they really don't like him. But for some reason, they ain't touching it. Maybe it's because they don't want to legitimize Project Veritas. I don't know. But in the wake of the expose is showing that Bernie Sanders, now four different staff members overtly saying violence, etc. Some calling for execution. Some saying they want to put people in gulags, conservatives, re-education. Some saying they'll stop short of executing landowners, but they will take your land away. All we've seen so far from the Sanders campaign is his staff has started locking down their social media. I mean, this is a presidential campaign. You'd think this would be big news. And I'll tell you what, man, the fact the media isn't all over this, the fact that there is no denouncement from the Sanders campaign, the fact that people won't stand up and push back against this. In fact, Sanders supporters on Twitter are laughing about it, saying, so what? It says to me that we're headed for dark times. And I mean that. The faction of violent revolutionaries in this country is growing so much so they're in multiple offices for the front runner for the Democratic Party in the United States, dare I say. Now, I do think it's fair to point out Joe Biden is still technically the front runner in some capacities, but Bernie Sanders has quickly overtaken him in many of the early state primaries and Democrats have started panicking. Bernie Sanders could win. You know, I'm not super concerned about the establishment Democrats losing but I am concerned about what Project Veritas is unveiling. Let's take a look at what Veritas has reported. And I want to start with a good old line about not executing the landlords because, you know, it hurts the soul. But I love how they don't make any guarantees. Before we read the story from Veritas, make sure you head over to timcast.com donate if you'd like to support my work. There are several different ways you can give. I have a new address available because I'm no longer in Connecticut. But the best thing you can do, share this video. Now, it's going to be a tough one, man. I'll tell you this. I know a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters. And what's really scary to me is they know nothing about any of this, right? You look at Joe Rogan saying he liked Bernie. I wonder what Joe Rogan's response would be if he saw his staff member saying these things. I think Joe's a reasonable guy, and this would probably be kind of outside of what he would consider acceptable, right? But Bernie comes across as, you know, to a lot of people, not everybody, as like a genuine, honest guy who really cares about the working class. 
But the reluctance or the inability or the unwillingness, or dare I say, the general support for these people, I would say the unwillingness to denounce, but it does seem there's a possible support. I mean, these people are in his campaign. The other staffers know who they are, believe the same things as them. That's why they're saying these things. They believe they're sitting around with allies inside Bernie Sanders field offices. Bernie Sanders won't denounce it. His supporters praise it. Sounds to me like these people are serious. Now, I do want to be fair. In these videos, we see a couple of scrawny 20 something frail white males. I'm not particularly concerned with their ability to stage a revolution, but I do think it's important to point out what they're advocating for is insane. The last thing we want to do is give them political power because they're literally talking about, well, we don't have to kill the landowners. What do you mean? It shouldn't even be a thought or a question. People are nuts. So let's read some of these quotes from Project Veritas, what they've uncovered. In this, we see a man named Mason Baird, Sanders field organizer, who said, the militant labor movement is kind of our last, our last real kind of chance before, you know, we try other. Hmm. Here's a quote. After we abolish landlords, we don't have to kill them. That's my feeling. I think it's damaging to the soul. But um, there were plenty of excesses in the 1917 Russian Revolution. I would hope to avoid labor. I think that's a big source of power for us. And just try to gain as much leverage and power in the short time that we have. You know, Lenin didn't have the internet. They were a peasant society. And I mean, it was like, so, you know, I would hope that like, that we would, we'd have, we'd be doing a bunch of prep work before the capitalists got hip to what we were doing, I guess. That's my best. uh, I'm not excited about the prospect of armed struggle. And so I think that um, I think if we pay attention to the lived experience of people in post-Soviet states and in Russia and things like that, then we do find that, yeah, like a lot of the stories were told in the United States about, you know, the gulags and the persecution of the kulaks and things like that are exaggerated. We certainly don't have a, a straight perspective on that stuff in America. Do you know what a kulak is? Essentially, it's somebody who had certain kinds of means, not necessarily the wealthiest, but let me show you from Wikipedia. They say the word kulak originally referred to former peasants in the Russian Empire who became wealthier during the Stolypin reform from 1906 to 1914. During the Russian Revolution, the label of kulak was used to chastise peasants who withheld grain from the Bolsheviks. That, so basically other poor people who wouldn't give in, I guess. According to political theories of Marxism and Leninism, in the early 20th century, the kulaks were class enemies of the poorer peasants. Vladimir Lenin described them as bloodsuckers, vampires, plunderers of the people and profiteers who fatten on famine, declaring revolution against them to liberate poor peasants, farm laborers, and proletariat, the much smaller class of urban and industrial workers. During the first five-year plan, Stalin's all-out campaign to take ownership an organization from the peasantry meant peasants with a couple of cows or five or six acres more than their neighbors were labeled kulaks. Under dekulakization, government officials violently seized farms and killed resistors, deported others to labor camps, and drove many to migrate to the cities following the loss of their property to the collective. That coming straight from Wikipedia. Now, I, I really wanted to lead with the landowners thing because it's one of the most extreme things they were saying, like, well, we will draw the line at killing them, but they do want to seize your property rights. And I'd like to point out something very important. 
about all of these types of revolutionary, you know, communist socialist types. There's a thing about meritocracy. Let's say one day you start growing some kind of crop, a plant, corn. You eventually learn how to grow more and more of it and do a better and better job and you can feed more and more people. You have an expertise, you pass it down to your family members and you start feeding the townspeople. Eventually, people like this are wondering why it is that you get more corn than everyone else when it literally comes out of the ground. So they violently overthrow the government, seize control of that farm, execute the person who was planting the crops. And guess what? None of them know how to farm. So then there's no food. It's kind of like the, the, you know, the, the killing the goose who laid the golden egg. The people who know how things operate can operate them better than people who don't. But time and time again, we see the same thing from these lunatics. For some reason, they're college educated, but they don't seem to understand basic logic. If you, if you take away the farms from the farmers and put not farmers in the farms, there won't be any food. And that happens all the time. But perhaps on purpose, let's be real. You create the problem and then blame the, 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 the higher class. You blame the other for the crisis. And the average person has a bottleneck source of information. And that's where things get really scary. They could force a famine and then blame, you know, they say, we, it's, it's your fault. And if we had communism, there would be food for everybody. Like they showed in the Wikipedia page, they, the, the kulaks were bloodsuckers, vampires, plunderers of the, of the people who fatten on famine. That's the idea they create. So perhaps it really was just a famine sparking revolution. I think it, it is true. You look at a lot of the data. One of the big factors in what starts a revolution is a lack of access to basic necessities, notably food. It's also possible that these people, as we see them working in the Bernie Sanders campaign, are actually trying to foment discord because it will result in a problem that only they can solve. Now, I'm not going to speak for the entirety of the campaign. We're seeing a handful of staff. But it's fair to say, when you look at this guy, Mason Baird, we know that Bernie Sanders staff is loaded with extremists. They actively praise Antifa. In this expose from Veritas, they talk about how they have those factions, how they're planning these things, but they got to wait. You know, they're trying to do it through the system. Well, I'll tell you what, I think that's fair. If they want to go through the system, that's the right way to do it. But what's scary is they say they won't accept the results. They're going to try it this way. And if they don't get what they want, well, then it's overthrow the whole thing. That means they're not actually trying to play fair. They're trying to subvert our system. And our system isn't perfect, but it is pretty good. Better than many other countries. Let's read some of these quotes. Mason Baird says, we do attract. I mean, we attract, um, you know, radical, truly radical people to the campaign. This guy said, I've canned with canvas with someone who's an anarchist, someone who's a Marxist Leninist. So we attract ra- truly radical people. That's Bernie Sanders staffer explaining many other staffers hold radical and extremist views. Now you'd think, with something as shocking as this, you know, what we're hearing from the Veritas, uh, from the Veritas expose is that a presidential campaign has people who are contemplating the execution of not just conservatives, but even landowners. You know what that means? You could vote for Bernie Sanders. Like Steyer, the billionaire guy, you think they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna let him do his thing? Never going to happen. Now, I'm not saying Bernie Sanders is going to come out Uh, you know, come out of the gate winning the election with a bunch of pitchforks and torches tearing the system down. But they are the biggest leap towards the insanity of the far left socialist communist faction. And these staffers are saying it. But I'll tell you one thing, man. I was I don't know exactly who said this, 
But there was a point made by somebody about how when it comes to communist revolution, the first class of people they need to eliminate are the upper class leftists who actually support them, the intellectuals, the people who understand how the revolution happened to prevent another one from happening. You see that? You see how, you see how this works? You look at these people, at the Bernie Sanders campaign, and I don't know exactly if they're college educated, but they tend to be. You see these college educated intellectuals talking about a workers revolution. Why is it that the workers are actually not in favor of this? They tend to be, you know, fairly moderate or even conservative. These intellectuals like this, you know, field organizer for Bernie, they come out and say all these fancy things they learned in college. Well, as soon as the revolution happens, the people in power who take power, the corrupt, they look at you and they say, you know how to start the revolution. We don't like that. So you're the first to go. That's what they don't realize. So he says, I think the goal is just to build, build a coalition. A lot of people, their politics fall outside of the American norm. So their politics are Marxist Leninist. They're anarchists. So these types of folks, they have more of a mind for direct action, for engaging in politics outside of the electoral system. Bernie said that, that the only way that we're going to, the only way we're going to live is, is if we have this mass movement going after this election. For the first time in my, in my life, I'm going to paraphrase because these people stutter too much. Maybe even probably most of our lives in American history, we're going to have, like if we have Bernie in the White House, we're going to have a real plan for dual power where we'll have the presidency and we'll have a mass movement right alongside it. That's going to be like institutionalized and supported. And I'd like to participate in it. Once we break up Google, YouTube, Facebook, nationalize these things, then that would be a huge thing forward so far as education stuff goes. He says we would need a federal government and labor union movement that is working together to strip power away from capitalists and preferably directing violence toward property. At the end of the day, this kind of stuff will come out through practice, through the work. And it's hard for me to talk about it in the moment and the moment we live, because I think China today is not what Mao envisioned, right? It was through the practice of Chinese people doing the work to create the China today. So it never, we're never going. I think a lot of the stuff, a lot of these answers are going to come through practice. We're going to try things. Things aren't going to work. We're going to move on to the next thing. And we're going to try to be as conscious and intentional about those things. But when you get into a certain level of detail and depth, it's like, that's kind of my cop out. It comes to the work, you know, the answers come through the work. It's going to take militancy, like a militant labor movement that's willing to strike. And if necessary, you know, just destroy property and things like that. A militant labor movement is kind of our last our last real chance before we try dot, 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 other means. You know what that is? You know what other means is? Just complete destruction, a tearing down of our way of life, of our system, of our safety, security, of our comfort, of our, of our access to resources. These people are truly, truly insane. They are deranged, dare I say it, even brainwashed into believing just insane things. And I'll be the first to tell you, I think we in this country have a problem with overconsumption. And that will lead us to a dangerous path if we keep consuming and consuming, eventually we pollute our earth. But human ingenuity is, is incredible. Perhaps we will develop new technologies and solve these problems. And that's what I'm hoping for. The answer is not a mass culling. You may notice when you watch movies to human beings around the world, the bad guy tends to be the one who thinks he should, you know, kill everybody because of the problems they're causing. In fact, Thanos in the Avengers film is literally trying to do that. So you have these people who talk about destruction, rage, anger, and militancy. That's not positive. It's not hopeful. It's the opposite. 
The Bernie Sanders staffers are the opposite of hope and change. They're violence, destruction, pain, and suffering. Now, here's the best part. The best part is establishment panics over Sanders, uh, over Sanders could aid his 2020 prospects. This from just about a week ago. Then we have this. Sanders surges while Warren wanes. This story from just the other day. And you know why this story is the funniest? The smears came out. Elizabeth Warren accused Bernie Sanders of saying a woman couldn't win the presidency. There was accusations over who was lying. And that exemplifies the first story. The media machine came out in full force, leaking audio. Bernie was a bigot. The Bernie bros are bad. We got story after story. Now, I can't tell you why the media won't go after this Veritas stuff and use it. But we can see the machine really did come for Bernie. And what happened? It helped Bernie Sanders. Now, look, I think it's important to draw a distinction between Bernie's insane staffers and Bernie Sanders. But I think it's important to point out that Bernie has no, it should be easy for Bernie to truly come out and denounce now the four staffers who have called for this extreme rhetoric and behavior and action. He hasn't. Why? I don't know. That's why I can only assume at this point with these four staffers, Bernie must know and actually support what they're saying. I mean, Bernie is the revolutionary candidate, right? I'd have to imagine, you know, if Bernie really cared about this stuff and thought it was bad, he'd immediately say so. They slap the word democratic in front of the word socialism. But when you hear them behind closed doors, they say, well, we don't have to kill the landowners. You know, it's bad for the soul. Why would you even consider it? Why would you even contemplate it? Why would it even be a question? Murder is wrong. You shouldn't kill anyone. And that's at the heart of what they're talking about. That's what the democratic means in front of democratic socialist. It means, well, we don't have to kill you so long as you do what we say. But of course, there's a big problem. How do you create a system where everyone bends the knee to the authority and ideology without these atrocities? There's a reason why every single time they've tried socialism or communism, there have been what I could define as a mass purge of wrong think because those ideas spread like a virus. And as people start talking about freedom and people start exercising free thought and original opinions, well, it becomes problematic to your system of control. The reality is most people are not, or I should say humanity isn't built around this ant-like behavior. Sure, ants live for the colony and not themselves, but human beings don't. We are individuals. We have ego for better or for worse. We strive to live and do better, and it's been greatly beneficial to us so far. When these, these lunatics try to implement their communism while saying real communism has never been tried, there's a reason why they all do the exact same things. To actually achieve a homogenous culture where everyone behaves like the Borg from Star Trek, the only way to get rid of the people who don't agree with that is to, well, you know, you know just get rid of them the fast way. There's no democratic way to do it. It just won't happen. I mean, I suppose there's algorithmic manipulation through social media, marginalization of certain peoples. But for the most part, you can see from their language, the thought has crossed their mind. Maybe if you own property, maybe you gotta go. So in their desperation, the establishment trying to smear Bernie actually just helped him. And I think there's actually another interesting point to be made about why the media will not talk about the Veritas leaks because the radical leftists like what's being said. And so maybe the real, the real issue is the media shouldn't amplify what these people are calling for. Because while you may think of it as a negative that could smear Bernie, 
What's really happening is the media is putting out information that some people who are radical might actually agree with. For all you know, like this smear, it could help Bernie Sanders. I bring you now, though, to my favorite story thus far. Quote, oh, my God, Sanders can win. Democrats grapple with Bernie surge in Iowa. Four years ago, the Vermont senator caught the Democratic establishment sleeping in Iowa. Could he do it again? Well, I'll tell you what. I don't necessarily think Bernie is the worst guy on the planet, but I think Bernie is harboring radical extremists who hold insane ideological views, who believe violence is a good thing, who have now Bernie staffers overtly called for destroying people's property, who have contemplated the execution of land landowners. They say landlords. I'll be fair. But I mean, honestly, if you own a house, you're a landowner, right? And you might rent it. So we'll, we'll, we'll see to what degree they really will go down the line. But as we saw from the Wikipedia page on the Kulaks, you may have had one or two cows more than your neighbor, and they considered you wealthy. And that puts a target on your back. Maybe you own two properties, not particularly expensive ones. Maybe you Airbnb something, and that makes you a landlord. We don't know where they'll draw the line. These people are nuts. I'll tell you what, what, I'm, what I'm scared of. Bernie Sanders has a lot of crazy ideas, a lot of ideas that have been championed by some very bad countries. Now, in the past, I've actually, I was a fan of Bernie. But I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm growing more and more concerned with, with Bernie's refusal to condemn the true insanity. I'll tell you what, my friends, or I'll, I'll say this, someone like Joe Rogan, I'd be willing to bet absolutely Joe Rogan would denounce what was being said by Bernie staffers. Now, I'm sure there are a lot of Bernie people who would come back and say, listen, so a handful of people have said these things. At this point, I'm not buying it. I'm sorry. I will not accept that as an answer. I'm not, I'm not saying Joe should or shouldn't you know, talk about this stuff. I, I do think it's funny that Joe completely ignored the whole cycle about him because I, 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 I respect him for doing so. It has nothing to do with him. He gave an opinion. They, they went nuts with it. But I know a lot of people who are Bernie supporters who don't know anything about this. And, and you need to tell them. That's why I said it might be hard when you share this video. Listen, Bernie Sanders now, four different staffers, expose by Project Veritas, espousing extremist, violent rhetoric, calling for the execution, contemplating the execution of, or the re-education gulagging of people they don't like, like Republicans, or even moderates, or even liberals. And I'll tell you this too, look at history. They go after the liberal intellectuals first, because those are the people who understand how to start the revolution. You got to stop the new revolution from forming. Otherwise, you'll see what happened in Egypt, two revolutions in the span of a year. So they know exactly what they need to do. My concern is, while I don't think Bernie is like the, the ringleader of a communist revolution necessarily, I think Bernie's refusal to denounce this should be worrisome to everybody because I have to wonder why he wouldn't do it. He absolutely should, but he's not. All we've seen so far is that his staffers have started shutting down their social media accounts and the media won't talk about it. Bernie Sanders, his national Deputy Director of Communications, Deputy Digital Communications Director, locked down her Twitter account in a presidential election. You'd think that would be huge news. Nobody's talking about it. If I do a Google search of Bernie Sanders staff, doesn't come up. Doesn't uh, we see the Daily Wire? Conservative outlets are bringing it up, but regular mainstream outlets, they don't really talk about it. When we search for Bernie Sanders, we definitely don't see it. It's Vox, it's Joe Rogan, it's capitalism. Look at this one. Capitalism broke young adulthood. It seems that many of these media outlets are sympathetic to those ideas being espoused. I'll tell you what, 
I've talked in the past about the potential for civil war. Laugh all you want. Bill Maher talked about it too. He said it's possible. But Bill Maher is missing something important. Bill Maher says that if we can repeatedly mock and berate and belittle each other, Trump supporters, namely from his side, it could lead to a real civil war. But what happens when the violent Milton faction of the far left and Bernie Sanders campaign come into power and the Trump supporters, conservatives and moderates say, no way. Well, then it means that civil war is coming regardless. If this faction is truly growing, if there is a sleeping faction of far left extremists within Bernie Sanders camp, and he's the front runner and he wins, these people will act as the frontline guards to keep people in line. And the regular people will probably push, you know, push. Look, I'll put it this way. The recipe for a full on civil war is there with Antifa, with mass protest, with calls for violence. These people Veritas have exposed literally talk about how they're planning extremist actions. Let me show you the screenshot to me. I'll wrap it up with this. Daniel Taylor, Sanders field organizer. It is unfortunate that we have to make plans for extreme action. But like I said, they're not going to give it to us. Let me end by reiterating a staffer for Bernie Sanders said they are planning extreme action. I've had enough. Don't come to me and say it's only a handful of people. This is four different staffers in two different states. They're shutting down their social media. Bernie won't call it out. And apparently, if you look at this video from Veritas, they show symbols of people in other states too. Stands to reason that Bernie, uh, that Project Veritas has a handful more. This is not an isolated incident. This is Bernie's growing faction of the far left. I find it quite troubling. We'll see what happens. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews at 6 p.m. And I will see you all then. If you watch Brian Stelter or Oliver Darcy on CNN, they will tell you that Fox News is horribly biased and misinforming their viewers. And perhaps they just they just don't understand why it is that people won't watch their network where you can get the real truth. Well, perhaps we now know Don Lemon in a now viral segment is laughing hysterically as his guests mock and belittle Trump supporters as essentially illiterate degenerate hillbillies who can't find countries on maps and have complete disdain for elites who know how to read. I'm not exaggerating. That's actually what happened. You had three people on this panel with Don Lemon. You had Rick Wilson, who's, I guess, a never Trump or conservative, whatever. I don't know his deal. And he's basically doing this, this uh, impression of a dumb hillbilly going like, you know, them elites and their fancy learning books. And that's, that was his bit. Don Lemon, it's, it's not even that funny, to be honest. And Don Lemon's like laughing and like pounding on the desk or whatever. And then the other guy, Wajahad Ali, who's apparently like an opinion writer for the New York Times, jumps into with this really feeble attempt at mocking Trump supporters. They call them credulous uh, boomer rubes. And he acts like they're all, I don't know, just dumb rednecks. This may, have well, may, may as well have been a campaign ad for Donald Trump to exemplify why working class Americans have complete disdain for the ivory tower class people like Don Lemon. So, so I find it hilarious when you look through the media reporters of CNN, when you look at their Twitter accounts and they're slamming Fox News. Let me tell you something, man. You want to know why people don't want to watch your network? It's because you're just awful people. You're just literal negativity being mean and smearing them. Now, look, I'll tell you what. You turn on certain uh, uh, Fox News personalities 
and they will they will target certain people, politicians, you know, and certain types of like ideas. But this was a step beyond. Okay, a total step. Let's let's read the story. I want to show you a lot of I want to show you uh, some of these tweets from people. But I want to get to something else too. Bill Maher, okay, famous liberal, sitting down with Megyn Kelly, explaining that people will. He said something like, "People will take it from the mouth of a werewolf." if it's pushing back on political correctness. But I will tell you one more thing. This idea that Bill Maher said about how people are willing to vote for Trump, you know, if, if, they're willing, if he's willing to be that personality they like, it goes beyond just political correctness. It's this. When Don Lemon is laughing hysterically and insulting you and, and, and making fun of how stupid you are, I tell you what, there's gonna be a lot of people who didn't vote for Trump who are gonna be sitting there with a look on their face like, this dude is a scumbag. And they're gonna go, they're gonna go vote for Trump to spite you. So I got this op-ed from, from the Washington Times breaking it down. They say Donald, Don Lemon's disgusting on-air mock of Trump. Yeah, it's Trump supporters, man. They say Don Lemon of CNN is more opinion than fact. Sure. But still, busting out in a two-minute fit of laughter as show panelists go on a mocking routine of President Trump is beneath even CNN. At least you'd think. Make way for the new standard of low at the cable outlet. Here's the hypocrisy. A lemon by a different employer, say Fox, would be on suspension right about now. Yep, absolutely. I love how CNN can complain about Fox News' bias and how they're not giving you the right information. But not only does CNN play the exact same game, they're totally on the left. And this is actually in the Bill Maher segment. Megyn Kelly points this out. CNN has become exactly what Trump accused them of being. This, This is insane. Don Lemon is not a newsman. He is just an angry anti-Trumper. And when he brings people on to insult the American people, yeah, his disdain is for the American people and he shows it. He said, uh, they write, in a skit with panelists Rick Wilson and Wajhat Ali, CNN's lemon broke into uncontrollable laughter as discussions ensued about Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and his rebuke of NPR's Mary Louise Kelly over a Ukraine line of questioning. Wilson pref- uh, referred to Pompeo's call for Kelly to locate Ukraine on a map. And then added this bit. Pompeo also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane next to it. One of the stupidest jokes I've ever heard. He says, Q Lemon's laughter, which wouldn't have, have been all that notable, except Lemon went on and on and on and on. Donald Trump is the smart one and y'all elitists are dumb, Wilson said with a drawl, calling out Pompeo for playing to the boomer rube. From Ali. You elitist with your geography and your maps and your spelling. The clip continued. Lemon's laughter continued. The mocking of Trump and Trump supporters continued. And that's the eyebrow raiser. Poke fun of Trump. Poke fun of Trump's team. But why poke fun in such arrogance and condescension and smugness of Trump supporters? Let me just let me let me tell you something. Don Lemon is trying his hardest to help Trump get reelected. That's the only thing I can see. What is he out of his mind? If you want to guarantee that people who voted for Trump double down and vote for him again, do what Don Lemon did. If you want to guarantee that independent voters who are not convinced are going to go and vote for Trump, do what Don Lemon did. If you want to guarantee that spiteful, angry, liberty-minded individuals whose whole life philosophy is don't you tell me what to do or you can't tell me, you're guaranteeing that all of these people will go and vote for Trump to spite you, your smugness, your arrogance, your condescension. I tell you what, man, I certainly feel it. I would love to see 
a figurative pie in the face of Don Lemon over his arrogance about how much better he is than you. You ever see Dodgeball, the Globo Gym guys? If you're not familiar with the movie, it's like Ben Stiller is playing this super arrogant exercise guy for a gym. And the line is, at Globo Gym, we're better than you. And we know it. Don Lemon may as well have said, here at CNN, we're better than you. And we know it. And they all bust out laughing. Here's what happens next. Donald Trump tweets out the video saying, Don Lemon, the dumbest man on television with terrible ratings. And he links to the Daily Caller. It says, America, this is what CNN thinks of you. Don Lemon, his ratings, I'm going to be honest, they're not relatively terrible. I mean, CNN is doing bad. Lemon's ratings are down. But look, you compare their key demographic ratings and it is the worst. But it's not like, I'm not going to play a game where I'm like, ha ha, Don Lemon's show is collapsing. No, the ratings are down, but you know. So, okay, you know what? Maybe, maybe, Maybe that's wrong. Maybe it is fine to say his terrible ratings. Fine. I get more in the key demo than he does. Ha, take that CNN. But they do get tons of play on, on, on YouTube as well. So that's fair. Now, as for the dumbest man on television, hands down, Don Lemon won some award for like worst journalist in like 2014 or something. I can't remember when. And I also want to point out, as I love to, 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 to the media reporters of CNN, I just say this. If you want to rag on Sean Hannity's opinion, sure, go for it. I'm not a big Hannity fan. I'm not saying I hate the guy. I'm, you know, I'm fairly ambivalent. I try to be respectful as much as I can be. But Don Lemon once asked a panelist if a black hole could have swallowed the missing Malaysian airplane. And his panelists responded with, you know, or you know, even a small black hole would swallow the whole universe. Yes, even a small black hole would swallow the whole universe. That's what she said. Don Lemon why would you even ask the question? It was so dumb. And he goes, I know it's preposterous, but is it preposterous? That's CNN. That's what you get when you're in a hotel lobby or an airport. That's what you hear. Me? I'm not interested in that. That sounds like the dumbest man on television. Actually, I mean, I think it's fair to say maybe like Peter Griffin or whatever. But in nonfiction news reporting, I think Don Lemon takes the cake. Well, in response to Donald Trump tweeting this out, okay, first of all, I don't care if he's the president. He has a right to free speech too. He can tweet out whatever he wants, same as anybody. Well, Wajahat Ali is panicking. Oh, heavens, he says. He tweets, Trump tweeted our CNN clip from two days ago. Friends are now concerned about my safety. I refuse to be intimidated and bullied by bad faith actors who cry victimhood, whining about a harmless, silly 30 second clip while endorsing Trump, a cruel vulgarian who debases everyone. Ooh, This is my time to shine. You know why? I will not endorse Trump. I'm not a fan of his uh, rhetoric. And I specifically call him out when I do because of the way he speaks. Policy, listen, when it comes to policy, there's a whole lot I don't know. So there are some things on foreign policy I will absolutely, you know, slam Trump over. I say it a million times. It's the obvious stuff. Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Syria, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like the missile strike. That stuff for me is easy, right? In, on, on a morality basis. Economics, what can I really say? Trump's, Trump's hitting, the nail the, uh, hitting the nail on the head with the hammer with that one. But when it comes to Trump's attitude, when he uh, imitated body slamming a reporter, yeah, yeah, I criticize the president for that. And guess what, Wajahat? I will also criticize you. So spare me your fake outrage calling Trump the bully when he called you out for being a bully. What's that? You went on CNN with Rick Wilson and Don Lemon, and you insulted Americans. You made fun of them, treated them like they were stupid, 
condescending, arrogant behavior. What's happening now is that you thought you could just mock and belittle American citizens with impunity. You can't. You know why? Because these people have someone in their corner and his name is Donald Trump. And it's also true that, you know, he, they're, they're, they're both in the corner for each other. This is why people like Donald Trump. It's why many people who don't even like him still vote for him. Here's the way I described it a few days ago. Imagine you're in a schoolyard and there's and there's some bullies. And one bully says to you, if you got my back, I'm going to make sure the other bullies lay off. They're going to be like, sounds good to me. So when you go on TV and you insult them, guess what? The big guy in the room who's what, what is Trump like six foot five or something? He's he's a really tall guy. And he is kind of he's a big dude. He's, he's obese, actually, too. Uh, he's going to stand up and he's going to point and he's going to point in your direction. And guess what? That's called karma. You insulted people. Trump didn't single you out for no reason. And I'll tell you what, when Trump does, I've criticized him. He called Stormy Horseface and stuff. You know, I've criticized him insulting people. Guess what? You can't pretend that the only people who are mad about what you said are the people endorsing Trump. No, it's not true. This is what I can't stand about AOC too, you know? Ocasio-Cortez always claims whenever she does something wrong, only Republicans are criticized. It's the GOP. It's like, no, it isn't, dude. There, look, look, I know the center is really small and frail at this point, but we exist. So I guess, you know what? I'll say this. Fine. Perhaps it's fair for Wajat to say, how are you going to criticize me and not criticize what Trump says if he's referring to most of the people who might do that? But in the end, that doesn't absolve you of your responsibilities. If you want to be a dick to people, to most Americans, like I'm, I'm telling you, man, listen, if you went on and said, I have a real concern with people choosing to support Donald Trump over these behaviors and these things. And I think we should have a real conversation about it. I would say much respect. You're, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm, I'm interested in hearing it. You didn't do that. You're just a mean and nasty dude. And now you're mad that guess what? President Trump showed everyone. You know, it's really funny about this tweet from Wajhat saying like, I will not be bullied. Oh, you're being bullied because you went on CNN and Trump told people you did. Trump, when Trump tweeted this out, he didn't say your name. He made fun of Don Lemon. He's not, he's not insulting you in any capacity. You, you are the one who did this to yourself. Now I'll tell you what I find so fascinating about this whole thing is what Bill Maher said back in 2016. What is this one? This one's 2020. Uh, check it out. He said, there will be blood. Maher sees civil war breaking out if we don't learn to live with each other. I'll tell you what's truly fascinating. How is it that we're at a point where Bill Maher, whose career, for the most part, has been insulting or mocking or making jokes about? Maybe it's, it's not fair to say insulting or mocking, but to make jokes about, he's a comedian and he's a political comedian. So he rags on Republicans all the time. And Bill Maher said in November, he was going to tone things down and lay off on Trump and his supporters because he really does fear a civil war breaking out. Bill Maher said that. I mean, dude, his job is actually to be, well, to, to make jokes and to make fun of people. And he tends to point in one direction because he's a liberal guy. I think he's done a good job of calling out the insanity on the left, too. So I, I, I think Bill Maher's, a, look, I like Bill Maher the same, for the same reason there are certain conservatives that I do like. People who absolutely will be critical and, be, and, and, and make jokes about the other side, but know where the line is and are willing to call out the BS. And I think a lot of people feel similar, similarly, you know, in, in that way about me, that we can all call out where the BS lies if the BS, you know, is, is, is apparent. So even the guy whose job is to make jokes will say, you know, I'm not going to do this. CNN didn't get the memo. CNN, they want this to happen. You know why? 
I think I think CNN wants Trump to get reelected. I do because they want to run segments like this to rile up the resistance to drive their ratings. It's the Trump bump. They live on insulting Trump. What happens if Trump doesn't get reelected? If Trump loses, guess what? CNN's ratings are going to go down. So how can they simultaneously ensure Trump gets reelected and insult and, and, and belittle Trump and get that resistance, you know, rating those uh, resistance viewers? Exactly what, what Don Lemon just did. Insult Trump's base to such a degree that even people who never voted are going to be like, I really want to see that guy lose. And then he gets to get the ratings from the resistance. He gets to get ratings from people like us who are, who are now going to watch the clip because, you know, it's, it's like shocking and, 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 and just awful. And then Trump gets reelected off of it. And he goes, oh, no, Trump got reelected. Aha. And then he gets a f- another four years of the Trump bump. But I want to point this out. This is the other article I was going to show you. Bill Maher warns liberals not to hate Trump supporters. That way lies civil war. Incredible. Bill Maher. Much respect. Now, I think Bill Maher has a, a, a touch of Trump derangement syndrome, certainly. I mean, there's a lot of things to criticize the president for. There's a lot of things to criticize basically every president for. And Trump certainly has his. But it's insane to me that, that, that I'll quote Nate Silver. Liberals can't give Trump one good day. That to me is insane. Okay. You can be moderate and say, listen, Trump's not my choice for president. There's a lot of things I don't like about him, but I understand why Trump supporters voted for him. It's, that's been my position the whole time. I'm not going to insult a Trump voter. It's, I, I, I try to listen to them and say, like, tell me why this was your choice. For me, I think I was lucky. You know why? When I was very much in the Bernie camp and I was very much hanging out with my lefty Democrat friends, you know, in like 2014 and 16, I had some good friends who were hardcore Bernie supporters who eventually flipped, flipped for Trump that, that coveted 12% of Bernie's base that actually voted for Trump. 12 to 18, depending on which study you look at. So I got to have friends who, who went through that. And I never did. I'm like, listen, man, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who ever votes for any party based on, you know, how I feel about the, the voters or how I feel about one party being good or evil or anything like that. I was like, Hillary's bad. I'm just not going to vote. I'm not, I'm, I'm fairly ambivalent, right? But I had some friends who became Trump supporters. And so I just asked them like, so, so why, why do you think that? Why do you feel that way? And then I met more people and I'm like, totally get it. Totally understand. And it's, and it should be obvious to everybody when you watch CNN, why so many people were like, you know what? Give it to Trump. There are a lot of people who believed in Trump. They believe in his message, diehard supporters who will stand by him to the end. There are a lot of people who felt he was just better than Hillary. There are a lot of people who are concerned about political correctness and said, you know what? Everything else is, is, you know, downstream, you know, politics is downstream from culture. Get the guy in who's going to defend, you know, a right to speech and, and, and push back on political correctness. You then had people who wanted to, you, you had some people who want to watch the world burn. I actually know some leftists who said they were voting for Trump because they were accelerationist. Their idea was that Trump would, would upset the establishment so much it would cause a complete collapse. And then they could come in and try and reform things. And I had some, uh, and I know some people who said, you know what? Their, their mentality, their politics, everything was swayed. I know people who used to be diehard Bernie democratic socialists. And when they were pushed out and insulted and mocked and berated, they went and started talking to Trump supporters who explained their ideas. These people had not heard them before. And all of a sudden now they're like, I agree with you. Democrat to deplorable, I suppose. Some people actually had never been exposed to the ideas presented by Republicans. And when they were, they flipped. So you see a lot of people say, how could you abandon your politics? No, they just changed their opinions because they learned new things. Now, for me, 
I've always been, you know, as, as like a journalist, I've always listened and talked to people. So my, my politics have slightly moved a little to the center. I mean, actually, on the political compass, I've actually gone down and to the left a little bit. But uh, so like lefty libertarian. But policy wise, I've become, you know, fairly moderate. There's a lot of things, especially on like the Second Amendment, where I've definitely been swayed, not completely to like a lot of what the conservatives propose. But I've definitely pulled back from a lot of my positions on gun control stuff simply by, by having conversations and better understanding people. Here's the thing. Bill Maher is right. But how is it that Bill Maher can point this out and Don Lemon relishes in it? I think it's fair to say that, you know, Bill Maher is somebody who doesn't want to watch the world burn. He wants to figure things out. He does have TDS. You know, he's, he said a recession would be great because it would get rid of Trump. That's nuts. Bill Maher is far from perfect. But he can see something. And I think this shows there's some honesty, you know, in, in what he presents. He's saying straight up like, OK, we got to figure this one out. And, and, and he's going to try what he can to figure it out. I look at someone like Don Lemon as a sociopath. He doesn't know or care. He just wants to watch the world burn and extract whatever value he can from the system as it goes down in flames. So anyway, man, I'll wrap this one up. Maybe Don Lemon just gave Donald Trump that campaign ad on purpose. Maybe he really wanted to ensure that that would go viral. And I'll tell you what, don't be surprised if that clip becomes a Trump campaign. And I'm not even kidding. I, I think Trump would be very, his team, you know, Brad Parscale and others would be smart to just take that clip of them mocking Americans about how stupid they are. And, and, and you know, these people, they are, they're the ones who are so separate from the rest of us sitting atop their ivory tower in their elite cultural, you know, safe space. And they don't care. They feel untouchable that they can mock people with impunity. Well, I'll tell you what, man, things are changing. Thanks to the internet. Wajahat Ali just got a dose of what it's really like when you and New York Times contributor and, you know, one of the people sitting atop this establishment ivory tower actually get someone coming out and pointing the finger at you. I love it. Look, man, if you want to go on national television and insult half the country, don't be surprised when the president who you insulted his supporters points at it and says, hey, everybody, look at this. You're mad that you did a high profile panel where you acted like a fool. Sorry, that's your fault. And you reap what you sow. It's called karma. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. In what may be one of the stupidest crime hoaxes, some guy apparently printed out a clip art picture of someone holding a gun pointed straight ahead and tried claiming that someone had planted it on his car or something, something related to like the Virginia gun rally. But apparently... The photo was taken in his own garage, and I have no idea how someone would be, would be able to track down this guy's license plate number to figure out which car was his. The whole thing is completely absurd, and my favorite part is that it seems the media lied about the whole thing for some reason, trying to grasp at some dumb story from a dumb person on Twitter. You know what this reminds me of? First, I don't want to call it a hate crime hoax because this guy, I don't know who he is, but it's a, a gun issues thing. Apparently, this guy is a gun control advocate and... You know, David uh, uh, Hogg, uh, uh, you know, tweeted about it or something like that. I don't know. But look at this picture, if you can see it. For those that are watching, this guy allegedly staged this. And actually, no, no, I'm sorry. I think by his own account, he claims that he placed it on his car. We'll get to that. But this reminds me of that scene from Fight Club when the boss walks in the office and he goes up to the narrator or Jack and says, like, the first rule about Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. The second rule, what is this? 
and the, the narrator gets up and says, you know, basically, don't bring me every little piece of trash you happen to come across. That's what I think when I see this. First of all, if I walked into my car and I saw that on it, you know what I would do? I'd crumple it up, toss it in a trash can, and that's it. I wouldn't tweet about it. I wouldn't make a big stink about it. If I was a journalist, wink, I'm, I'm making a joke. These, this journalist from the Baltimore Sun actually decided it was newsworthy to write about some guy's tweet because somebody he claims there was no verification. He didn't call the local authorities. He just took their word for it, which is so absurd because the post millennial actually did contact local police who said, we don't know anything about this. Let me let me get through this because it's really funny. But it seems like based on the post millennials reporting, not only did this guy stage the whole thing, but the Baltimore Sun put out fake news without actually fact checking. So here's the story. They write, did an anti-gun activist stage a death threat for Twitter? Notice it's a question, and it's a question because we don't know for sure. But I think it's fair to say, based on this guy's own assessment, he did. And I'll explain. Postmillennial writes, on Saturday, John Hopkins Hospital trauma surgeon Joseph Sacrin posted to his Twitter, alleging that he had received a menacing death threat due to his gun control activism. The menacing threat read, the end is near, below a cartoon hand holding a gun, uh, was allegedly found on Dr. Sacrin's car windshield. He posted two photos on January 25th on Twitter. One shows the alleged threat below the wiper blade and one of Sacrin holding it in his home. Dr. Sacrin went on to create an eight post thread detailing his life history, experiencing a gun related injury and notes his history of advocacy against gun violence. He also tagged the Twitter handles of gun control activist groups, Mom Demand Action, Newtown Action Alliance, Sandy Hook Promise and others. He did not mention whether he reported the alleged death threat to the police in Fairfax County, Virginia. Despite the thread going viral, gaining over 6,000 likes at the time of this article's writing, some Twitter users observed discrepancies in Dr. Sacrin's allegation. Visible in the, is the best part, I'm sorry, visible in the reflection of the windshield appears to be the surrounding of a residential garage, which could indicate Dr. Sacrin's vehicle may have been parked indoors at the time of the alleged death threat was discovered. Now, I will stop here. When I first heard, you know, I was told like, oh, but it was, you know, indoors. And I said, maybe it was an indoor parking garage. Except in the reflection of the windshield appears to be a, a wooden wooden trim <laughs> around around this door. So it looks residential. It doesn't look commercial. But I, I'm not going to, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was commercial and they liked having a little wood trim on it. Maybe it was a hospital building or something. So it's possible. I just think it looks, you know, residential. Let's read on. However, Dr. Dr. Sacron was interviewed by the Baltimore Sun, where he asserts that he found it on his car on or before January 20th, and he made his way to work as he made his way to work. He says he took the paper from his windshield and placed it inside of his car, not believing it to be anything more than a flyer, and did not inspect it until days later while cleaning out the vehicle. They go on to say the interview was seemingly meant to offer clarity, but instead seemingly confirms that Dr. Sacron staged the threat on his windshield in order to take a photo for Twitter. Additionally, another user pointed out that at the after photo of the note taken inside his home appears to have fewer creases and blemishes than the note photographed on his windshield. So it looks like, check it out. In the first photo, you can see there's a fold right down the middle of the picture. And no, I, I don't know. I don't know if that argument makes sense. That, that crease appears to be in both photos. So if that's what they're asserting, I don't know if that's, that, that points out. Someone says, as uh, a tweet says, as someone who is detail oriented and, and focuses on small details, my conclusion is it's a hoax. Why? Because the photo on the right was taken before the photo on the left, 
which suggests Joseph Sacharin printed the paper himself, placed it on the window himself. Well, here's the thing. If he claims it was on his car while he was in Virginia or whatever, not indoors, and there's a photo of it on his car indoors, stands to reason that he, by his own story, I guess, he put it in his car, went to a parking garage and put it back on his car, I guess. I don't know. Let, let, let's read. Let's read. Let's get the details correct. But the, the media absolutely got published fake news. And that that is is according. If you trust the post-millennial, then it seems that Baltimore Sun put out totally fake news about this. They say additional questions were raised about the tracing of the image to the device it was printed on. According to Snopes, a majority of color printers are designed with the ability to produce a secret metadata called machine identification code embedded in all printed pages. The code enables for easier tracing of the source device a page was printed through. However, according to publicly available Fairfax police records, Dr. Sacharin does not appear to have filed a police report over the incident. They say the millennial postmillennial reached out to Sacharin for comment, but he has, has not heard back in time for publication. It's an ongoing story. They do have updates. Now we'll get to the updates. But first, the Baltimore Sun, for some reason, the Baltimore Sun thought this was a news story. It's not. It's a guy on Twitter posting a picture. That's it. But the Baltimore Sun writes, Hopkins surgeon, gun violence prevention advocate takes to Twitter to report death threat left on his car. They write, a prominent trauma surgeon at John Hopkins Hospital who survived being shot as a teen and advocates nationally for gun violence prevention, says he recently had a death threat placed on the windshield of his car. Dr. Joseph Sacharin posted images of the alleged threat. A sheet of paper, paper feeping. We, we, we get it. We get it. They mentioned that, you know, David Hogg noticed it for whatever that matters. Sacharin, however, deleted his thread of tweets about the alleged incident on Monday morning. He said he did so at the advice of law enforcement, who also advised him to stop discussing the matter publicly. He declined to comment further. I'm gonna stop you right there, Baltimore Sun. Did you bother verifying any of those claims? Because the post millennial did. And it turns out the cop said, why would we tell someone to do that? That's not what we do. We'll get to that. Let's read more. They mention his history and how he became a trauma surgeon, yada, yada. We get it. They say this. In an interview with the Baltimore Sun, he said he believed the paper was placed on his car parked near his parents' home in Northern Virginia sometime on or before January 20th, which was the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday in the same day as the gun rights rally in Richmond. Okay. It was parked near his parents' home. That implies what? Not indoors? Outdoors? First of all, if somebody knew who he was, how would, how would they know what his car was? It's, it's really, I mean, look, we're talking about a big stretch. First of all, they went into the indoor parking garage where he was. They knew which car was his for some reason, maybe, but maybe put his name on it. I have no idea. They know what his license plate number is. That seems odd. This dude's not, not particularly famous. So is the other argument that someone was going around putting the end is near on every car, in which case it wasn't targeting him? The story seems to make absolutely no sense. Is it possible? Sure, I guess it's possible. Let's read. They say the rally spurred Ralph Northam to declare a temporary state of emergency. We know all this stuff. It's not particularly relevant. They say that uh, Capitol Police tasked with staffing officers for the rally said they were not aware of any threats against gun control activists. Sacharin declined to say what agency, if any, is investigating the incident. Well, perhaps the Baltimore Sun. You could have actually just, I don't know, made a phone call. Sacharin said he recalls grabbing what he thought was a flyer off his windshield on the morning of January 21st as he made his way to work at the U.S. Capitol, where he was serving as a, a, a health policy fellow. Sacharin took a sabbatical from his position. OK, full stop. He said he took no notice of what was on that paper that morning, distracted by thoughts about his new job. But days later, as he was cleaning out his car, he took a closer look and realized what it was with a jolt. 
I was like, oh my gosh, a lot of emotions went through me, to be honest with you, having been a survivor and also my family. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Did he just admit to staging it? In the first photo, it's on his car. It's indoors. You know what that means? If he told the Baltimore Sun he didn't know what it was and he pulled it off of his car and threw it in his back seat, that means that later on, he placed it back under his windshield and took a picture of it. I'll tell you what, man. Maybe it's possible somebody put that flyer on his car, sure. But he put it back to take a photo for Twitter. That's staging it, okay? You know, whatever. Well, we got some updates here from uh, the Post Millennial. They say this. Update. Sakharin, speaking with the Baltimore Sun, has claimed that police advised him to delete the viral tweets, which outlined the threats he allegedly received at his home. The Post Millennial reached out to the Fairfax County Police, the local law enforcement jurisdiction surrounding the Fairfax station, where Sakharin's home is located. And media relations officer Lieutenant Webb was able to confirm that Sakharin did not file a police report, nor did the Fairfax police advise him to delete the viral tweet. Quote, that's just not something we do, Webb said. The Fairfax County PD is the jurisdiction which surrounds Fairfax Station, where Sakharin's home is located and where the threat was allegedly discovered. The story continues to develop and more and, and, and information may change. OK, I'll tell you this. Maybe maybe somebody put on his car, but he definitely staged it by his own account. The police are calling are saying what, what he's claiming is not true. They didn't advise him to do anything that makes no sense. Now, I will say he doesn't have to file a police report. And I got to be honest, most people probably wouldn't. That's probably the right thing to do. I'm not going to hold that one against him. If somebody really put a flyer in my car, I'd crumple it up, throw it away. I wouldn't file a police report either. So I'll give him a pass on that. But he basically admitted to putting on his car to stage it for a tweet, then claimed, which the police deny, they advised him to delete it, probably because he was getting dragged because it was a ridiculous thing to do. So there's a little bit more with the Baltimore Sun, but they basically get in. Let's read some of his quotes. He say this. I just cannot imagine putting them through anything else. I'm not sure who did it. I'm not sure how they got my information. But as someone who takes care of patients day in and day out in Baltimore and who has been working at the intersection of health and public safety, it's just so concerning. Sakharin said he couldn't help but wonder whether his national advocacy work has caused someone to target him. I'm gonna let you all in a big secret. Conservatives don't do this kind of thing. How often have you heard a story about conservatives going around spray painting things and like throwing bricks through windows and I don't know, threatening people? Look, let's be real. It does happen. You know, everybody has their crazies. But man, I'll tell you this. Most conservatives, they are, I guess they're too individualist to try and engage in behavior like this. This is why I think, I think tribalism plays a huge role in why we see a big difference between who's perpetrating these hoaxes. I think for the most part, you have more mature, principled people likely to be on the right than the left. Though it's possible there are people on the left who are mature. You know, I consider myself to be policy-wise a left libertarian. So I, as a mature adult, would not, you know, bat an eye at this nonsense, nor would I engage in this stupid behavior. But I think you, you can see that whatever the left is, they're willing to, you know, they believe by any means necessary and that the ends justify the means. People, you know, moderates and people on the right or libertarian type people. Like, I don't mean big L libertarian, like the American Libertarian Party. I mean, people who believe in, li- you know, in liberty, the opposite of authoritarian. They're less likely to engage in this stuff. But when it comes to conservatives and many Second Amendment rights advocates, and, th- and there are two A rights people on the left, for sure. These are the kind of people who aren't going to go out in a big protest. You know, the two A rally, that's a sight to behold because it's kind of a rare thing. You typically don't see big conservative protests. I remember going to Trump Tower and there were a bunch of protesters and a Trump supporter was there and he was like asking questions about what was going on. And I asked him, 
why don't you guys come out and protest? And he's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's not really our thing. So when you see stuff like this, I think it's the overt tribalism and a lack of principle, which would drive someone to stage this kind of hoax. So let's read a little bit. Uh, let's, let's see what their conclusion is over the Baltimore Sun. They say, after finding the alleged threat in his car, Saccharin said he took a couple of pictures, placing it back on his windshield for one. So he admits it and then threw it in the trash, ready to ignore it. On Saturday night, he changed his mind. In a thread of tweets, he talked about partners. So he admits to staging the shot. This guy admitted to staging the photo hoax. We have the opportunity and the responsibility to make communities safer for Americans, blah, blah, blah. For the person who thought they could silence me by threatening my life, you clearly know nothing about me. Yeah, 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 dude. Listen, he didn't admit that he made it, but he definitely admitted that he placed it there for his photo. So I think it's fair to say we have no evidence of where the thing actually came from. And for all we know, he found it in the trash and then he put it on his car and took a picture. I think it's fair to say, though, in many of these circumstances, I would always lean towards these people be faking it. They do. Come on, man. Everybody knows Jesse Smollett staged this, you know, or everyone believes that to be beyond a reasonable doubt. So when you see stories like this, the first thing everybody noticed was, uh, how come the photo is in a garage? <laughs> he claims it was on his car outside by his parents. Well, he didn't say outside, but he said near his parents' home. That would imply it was outside, right? I think the statements he's making is just an attempt to like, I don't know, plausible deniability. Oh no, it's because I put it back to take a picture. Great. You admitted it. I'm done. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCast. It is a different channel from this one, and I will see you all there. Well, as, as we've stated for the 50 billionth time, impeachment seems to have been a massive waste of time for Democrats. I don't know what their plan is. And the only thing I see them gaining out of impeachment is that they jammed up Bernie Sanders, I guess, maybe paved the way for Joe Biden, who's not doing well anyway. I have no idea what they're doing, man. Donald Trump's approval rating is at an all time high. Now, let me let me clarify that. The Washington uh, Examiner says the best rating in three years right after Trump got elected. That's when his approval rating peaked. I don't think it's fair to count that because the dude literally didn't do anything. We've now had three years of a Trump presidency, and it is its highest point since just after election. As far as I'm concerned, within the time span of Trump actually being president and doing work, this is the highest it has ever been. So what's going on? We have an impeachment trial happening. Nobody seems to care. The left is trapped in their weird bubble world. Yet the economy is doing really well. Trump's approval rating is going up and up and up, and it's an election year. Trump facing re-election with the highest approval rating of his presidency. Look, I think it's fair to say Trump's going to win re-election, as I've stated time and time again. But let's read the story. And I've got some other uh, data on the on the impeachment as well. They say, boom, Trump approval rating best in three years. President Trump's approval ratings have hit the highest average level. And this is the average, mind you. I got to clarify that. This is the real clear politics average. I'm not talking about some poll from like Rasmussen that pops up and says, oh, look, we got Trump above 50%. No, this is all of them. Highest it's ever been. The highest average level since this first month in office, a post impeachment message sure to depress his Democratic detractors and thrill his supporters. The highly watched RCP job approval is at 45.6, just 0.4 off the high uh, posted shortly after his inauguration. His disapproval number is 51.7, lower than recent averages. The average is a running collection of dozens of polls, including Fox, Rasmussen, Washington Post, Political, CNN. 
the latest. The latest list shows Trump's approvals in the individual polls increasing despite the cloud of impeachment hanging over him and his 2020 reelection bid. He was impeached. That's it happened. Will he be removed? I really doubt it. Support for removal is in the minority. Campaign communications director Tim Murtaugh said that voters surveyed in the polls are paying more attention to the economy and improvements brought under Trump than impeachment. President Trump gets up every day with the mission of putting America first in all of his decisions. The Democrats begin every day brainstorming about how to bring him down. Americans can see what's going on and they're siding with the president. I imagine it like this. You may not like Trump, but he's the he's the pilot. Okay, the people on the plane said we want that guy flying the plane. Well, the people who didn't like him are shaking the controls and making the flame flip around and everyone's watching them do it. So I I imagine it like you see Trump in the pilot seat flying the plane like normal. He's 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 kind of a a dick about it. And then in the other co-pilot seat, it's the Democrats just shaking the controller as hard as they can or the, the, the steering wheel. I don't know, whatever you call it in a plane. And we all know they're doing it. So it's really frustrating for me because I'm like, you know, this country needs a healthy alternative. You can't just have a single party dominating the conversation. Look at what happens in California. We need some real legitimate pushback and proposals. It's one of the reasons why I like Andrew Yang. But instead, what do we get? As they put it, Democrats wake up every day thinking, how can we make everything really uncomfortable for everyone? And that's what they're doing. Their, their, Their primary focus has been impeachment and scandals in Ukraine and Russia. Are you kidding me? This is so nuts, man. When people tweet at me to like try and argue about whether Trump is guilty or not, I don't care. I want to know what's going to happen after the election with, with, with trade deals. What's going on with Iraq and Iran? I do not care about whether or not the orange man is as bad as you claim he is. If you don't like it, you can vote in November. But instead, all they do is wake up every day screeching about things I don't care about. Impeachment has no bearing on my life. Okay, I, or, or I should say Ukraine gate. If they, if they remove Donald Trump, yeah, it's going to cause the markets to go nuts and people are going to feel that. But in the end, everything they talk about, Trump has violated his oath of office and abused his power, has no bearing on what I do when I wake up and the work I have to do. I mean, technically it does because I, I talk about the news. But what I mean is for the average American, when you wake up and your concern is today I'm going to pour concrete, hammer some nails, is, is, is the first thing you think about, like, I wonder if President Trump called Ukraine and tried to pressure them on Joe Biden. No. What about health care? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. When you wake up, you think, oh, man, that health care bill, I got to pay that by tomorrow. I hope this check clears today. Are the Democrats talking about what you care about? Nah, but Donald Trump is traveling overseas and he's working because he knows the game that's being played. And the Democrats, I guess, just want to lose. They say other polls agree. Several have shown that voters approve of the economy and he is beating all but former Vice President Joe Biden in the latest 2020 head-to-head matchups. Not according to the New York Times. Okay, well, no, no, maybe, maybe sta- uh, nationwide. But in key states, Trump's really winning. They say, according to the Washington Post today, with just over nine months until election day, Americans see Trump as a slight favorite for re-election, with 49% expecting him to win and 43% predicting that his Democratic challenger will prevail. Let me tell you something. Don't take the polls' word for it. Newspaper polls are trying to tr- convince you to, uh, you know, click links so they can make money. Let me make it really simple. The poll's goal is to get you to do something that makes money for the news organization. Now, who should you trust? I'd be more inclined to trust Vegas odds, betting websites, because the odds are designed to make them money. 
Okay, they want to stop you from placing a bet that's unfavorable to them. They want to make money. So they're saying when it comes to a bet, these are the odds, because if they did the odds wrong and they said Trump was the favorite and he wasn't. Well, anyway, you get the point. Vegas odds are about the, the casinos making money. Washington Post and these other outlets are about convincing you to click for a reason. So what ends up happening is, first of all, trust. I think the aggregate is fair to trust, but most of these outlets are chasing after a key, a a core audience, trying to convince you, you know, if you're anti-Trump, that Trump's going to lose. If you're pro-Trump, Trump's Trump's going to win. Here's so so moving on from Trump's general approval. I think there's there's two things that are really important. First of all, this is uh, this I believe is from today. A slim majority of Americans approve of Trump's Soleimani strike. They say three weeks after President Trump ordered the drone strike on Soleimani, the Washington Post ABC News poll finds a slight majority of Americans approve of the decision, even as many express concerns that it may increase the chance of war breaking out with Iran. The Post ABC poll finds 53% approve of Trump's ordering the strike that killed Major General Qasem Soleimani, while 41% disagree. That means you got a decent amount who just don't know. We can see here, Republicans overwhelmingly approve, Democrats overwhelmingly disapprove, independents approve. That's the big question. How will the independents swing? And we have seen poll after poll showing that independents are in more alignment with Republicans. You know why? Because the Democrats are playing the game of everything Trump does is wrong. Independent voters are kind of like, you know, whatever. So I'll tell you what. You look at how the independents are swinging towards Republicans. I think it's fair to say that Trump's got the advantage. The Democrats have gone so far left, they're just spiraling out of control. But here's another great poll. Donald Trump's approval rating is up. Most people in this country believe by a slim majority that he was right to do what he did in Iran, or I'm sorry, in Iraq with the Iranian. And now we see this impeachment by numbers. They say, take a step back and little has changed in the political landscape. Four months after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi launched the inquiry against President Trump. Trump's national approval numbers, public support for his removal, and Joe Biden's place as the Democratic primary frontrunner have held steady. Meanwhile, the GOP and Trump campaign are raising money off of impeachment. And there we go. What have you wrought, Democrats, with your impeachment? Nothing. You've helped Trump. That's why I can't understand what the point was. And I've been saying this since they started it. Most of you have been agreeing with me. We knew impeachment from the get-go was going to help Trump. In fact, before he was even impeached, news outlets were saying, does Trump want to be impeached? Because he was going to use it to say they're after me. He has. He's raised money. He's got a higher than, uh, his approval rating is higher than it's ever been. I get it, except for that, you know, right after inauguration. But in terms of the work he's done, he's seen a massive increase in his average approval rating, higher than it's been since inauguration. The Democrats have stayed mostly where they are, I guess. But maybe that was it. Maybe that was the plan. The only thing I can really see that Democrats gain from this is hurting Bernie Sanders. But did they really hurt him that much? I got to say, I think the real answer is the Democrats are completely incompetent. They could not focus on health care for the sake of their own party. They could not focus on immigration for the sake of their own party. No, they could only talk about Ukraine and Russia over and over again. And I think it's because they're trapped in a conspiracy bubble. You look at some of these things that come out, the sheer insane conspiracy nonsense. Here's what I want to do. Let me, let me actually break this down in a better way. The next segment I'm going to do is about that whole uh, Rick Wilson and uh, what you call it, Don Lemon mocking Americans. But here's the best part. 
turns out it's actually the Democrats who can't pinpoint countries on a map. So while the Democrats sit there laughing and chortling about how smart they are, we're all looking at them like, you guys realize you're actually the dumb ones, right? So stick around. That segment's coming up in a few minutes and I'll break that one down. I'll see you then. First segment I did this morning now has a remarkable update because not only has Rick Wilson responded, but Frank Luntz, the famous pollster, linked to a story proving it's actually the Democrats who are the dumb ones. But some of you may not have seen that, so I'll try and go quickly through the context. Then I'll show you Rick Wilson's response and the evidence showing it's actually Democrats that don't know where countries are. So if you're going to go around making fun of a voter block, maybe you should check the data first. Because now not only do you look like snooty elitists, you look like stupid snooty elitists. So here's the quick context. Context. Daily Caller reports, it took this CNN panel just 80 seconds to show what they really think of Trump voters. They say CNN anchor Don Lemon, Rick Wilson, and New York Times op-ed writer Wajahat Ali, uh, who is also a CNN contributor, rolled out nearly every possible stereotype about Republican voters in a segment that aired Saturday night, but didn't really catch the public's attention until Monday. Wilson got the party rolling, rolling by saying Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane next to it, which sent Lemon into a hysterical fit of laughter. They were just getting started. You know, it's funny. When I saw Don Lemon laughing at that joke that wasn't funny in any way, it reminded me of like Tweedledee and Tweedledum or like the Three Stooges, just like someone so dumb, they're laughing at just complete nonsense. It's, it's like not funny. It reminds <laughs> I was, I was going to make a Big Bang Theory joke, but maybe some of you are fans of the Big Bang Theory. No, I'm going to do it. It reminds me of the people I know who watch the Big Bang Theory. Those aren't jokes. Sorry. Do you ever see those videos where it's like they remove the canned laughter from friends and the Big Bang Theory? And then you're like, that's creepy, actually, because they're not saying anything funny. But for some reason, people are laughing. I didn't believe it. I was like, why is Don Lemon laughing? He's like laughing harder than he's ever laughed. You would think Rick Wilson was the joker who had just done that special laughing gas on him because there's no reason to be laughing at what he said. And then I feel I, I do. I do. I got to say, I feel kind of bad for Wajahat Ali on this because he seems to be just kind of like awkwardly trying to fit in. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. Grow a spine. If that were me, I'd be like, come on, man. We don't need to play these games. Anyway, Wilson went on to sneer the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump. The ones that think that, and here he broke out into a Southern accent, Donald Trump's a smart one, and there are y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. Lemon laughed even harder, and Ali chimes in, you, you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling. At this point, Lemon was laughing so hard that he pulled out a handkerchief to wipe his tear-filled, tear-filled eyes. <laughs> I wonder if the reason he was laughing was that he knew deep down it was actually them who are stupid. Here's my favorite thing. Check this out. This is from July 5th, 2017. The New York Times. If Americans can find North Korea on a map, they're more likely to prefer diplomacy. Why? We've seen this before. In fact, there was one uh, uh, viral article or whatever poll where they asked people on a, my understanding was a borderless satellite image or, or, or map, find Iran. And some people, for some reason, put a dot in the middle of the ocean. i don't know what's going on with that. Maybe it was Don Lemon himself. Some people actually put a dot in the United States. Perhaps that one was Rick Wilson. But here's the funny thing. They say in this older New York Times article, just 36% got it right. Here are the countries they selected. Now, what's interesting about this is that when asked to find North Korea, 
at least in this poll, most people picked real countries, but you can actually see there are dots in the Indian Ocean. I don't know. Maybe that's an error. Someone put it in the Pacific Ocean. That seems very strange. And somebody thought Australia was North Korea. Heaven forbid those people are operating heavy machinery, but let's read on. We get down to the data points, the actual more important data. Which groups were most successful? Uh-oh, Don Lemon's going to enjoy this one. Share correctly identifying North Korea on an unlabeled map of Asia. By gender, men, 45% were able to accurately locate North Korea. Well, now we got some bigotry in the mix. Women, only 27. But here's the best part. By party, independents did the best at 39, Republicans second best at 37, and Democrats at 31%. Now, I as a moderate independent voter, I'm absolutely proud to say that I fall into that bracket of people who know where North Korea is. 39%. We did the best. Thank you very much. But of course, the real issue here was Don Lemon making fun of Trump supporters because he said Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if there was an actual crane next to the letter U. Okay, dude, don't quit your day job, man. Maybe hire someone to actually write for you. But unfortunately, as we can see here from the New York Times, not when it pertains to Ukraine, I get it. But we can see that Republicans actually scored better. Now, here's the thing. That other graph that was going around the map, it was fairly even. I think the Republicans did have a slight lead, but barely. In this 2017 you know, New York Times story, we can see that uh, Republicans tend to be more accurate than Democrats in identifying countries. Oof. Kind of, kind of, uh, kind of funny then when you consider the context of Rick Wilson and these snooty elitists in their ivory tower boasting about how smart they are, but you're sitting back going like, dude, you guys are actually the dumb ones. Okay, now I can say this as the independent who did better than y'all Republicans too. But I got to say, man, you know, Rick Wilson tries framing it as like, you know, it's fake outrage or whatever. Not from me. I criticize Trump for being a dick just as much as I'll criticize you, Rick Wilson, for being a dick. So you don't get a free pass on this one for being a dick and being stupid. This is what my favorite part. I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating. Not only did you look like an elitist prick, you now look like a stupid one. But uh, he responded. I'll read you what he said. He says, the fundamental underpinning of the fake outrage is simple. The MAGA world wants the freedom to attack, insult, demean, and abuse anyone who doesn't aggressively worship Donald Trump. I think it's fair to say that when, uh, uh, I'll do this first. Let me Let me stop. We did a poll about like, you know, my audience and found that it's mostly libertarian and centrist types, but a decent percentage of of Trump supporters. So I think many of you who watch probably do support the president. I think it's fair to say. And there's actually a very small portion of liberals and leftists, believe it or not. But it was mostly libertarian. It was. It was like the biggest single block at like 30% of the people who watch would identify as like moderate libertarian, then centrist. Like I think it was like 15 to 17 were, were Trump supporters. So here's the best part. If you look at my videos, you'll find typically the thumbs up ratio is, you know, like 99%. Even when I say bad things about the president, okay? Like I will criticize his foreign policy. I will criticize his behavior. People make jokes about how I often call him boorish, oafish, and and crass and crude and all these things. That's strange, Rick Wilson. Why is it that Trump supporters will sit back and listen to me say, here's what I don't like about the president, but they're not there. But why aren't they attacking me? for not aggressively worshiping Donald Trump. Perhaps it's because you're a dick. You know what I mean? Um, look, when I do insults, when I say things, I'm not trying to get an emotional rise out of the left or Rick Wilson. I mean, it literally, I mean, he went on CNN 
and mocked and berated and insulted Trump supporters. Why would you do that? You know, my biggest problem with people like him is or are whatever Don Lemon, him, Washahat, they don't actually care about really compromising living together in America. This is a great country, man. This is a great planet. You know, the world's fun. There's a lot of cool places around the world. I'm an American, so maybe in the future there will be this great utopian globalist society. I have no idea. But for now, as an American, I want to make sure I do right by myself, my friends, my family, my community. And that means when there are people who disagree with me, I respect their humanity. I respect their life experience and all the conversation with them about it. But you don't do that. So you then try and pretend it's because you don't aggressively worship the president. (laughs) Not true at all. Why is it that there's the politically homeless, intellectual dark web types who have no problem insulting, berating, or belittling the president, yet for some reason, they still have respect from Trump supporters? Not every single one of them, mind you, but many of them. Perhaps it's because when they do criticize the president or say something about him, they're doing it honestly. They're having a real conversation about their feelings and thoughts, and they respect the other side. It's that simple. You can insult the president so long as you're willing to listen and truly try and understand the other side of that argument. Hence, the intellectual dark web has a lot of popularity, especially, you know, it's mostly like moderate and centrist types. But I think a lot of people in this country, and I think it's fair to say too, even among Trump supporters, they know Trump is kind of a mean dude, right? But there's a difference between, you know, what there's there's a a level of acceptability that people have. For me, I I draw the line at, at a lot of what Trump says. But for the most part, it's, it's foreign policy, it's cultural issues related to religion, life and choice and things like that. But I try to understand the people who, who, you know, I disagree with. Because how am I supposed to convince them I have ideas that are worth listening to if I go on TV and treat them like morons, which they're not. It was actually you. It's actually the Democrats that couldn't find North Korea. I, I think it's fair to point out there was another graph. Again, I'll say it showing it was fairly even. I know I'm selectively highlighting this to make a point. Don't come out and act like you're better than everyone. You know why? Because pencils have erasers, man. None of us are perfect. And I think Rick Wilson, Don Lemon, and Wajad Ali would be, would be wise to learn that lesson. That when you come out acting like you're the best and the baddest, and then you trip and fall and you go face first in the mud, it's even more satisfying to watch. Let me tell you something. If someone, if, if someone came out and they were very nice and respectful, and they tripped and fell. They tripped and fell in the mud. People, everybody would be like, "Oh man, that dude's so nice to everybody." Oh, and they'd help you up. And they'd be like, "You are right." No, they'd give you a handkerchief. But when you're this mean, snooty, arrogant elitist, and you fall in the mud, everyone laughs. It's called comeuppance. It's called karma. Wajahad Ali complaining that Trump tweeted out the story. I'm sorry, you did it. Not Trump. Trump's highlighting a public CNN video, and now he's like, "My family is scared for my safety." Aw, poor, poor baby. If you want to be a bad person and be mean, and then something happens, karma. I mean, nothing really happened. The president tweeted about you. Congratulations. I'd be stoked if the president tweeted about me. But I'm sorry. You did this. So anyway, I'll wrap it up. I just thought it was funny when they tweeted this out. Like, could you, could you imagine just how like, man, watching stupid people laugh about how, how smart they are. And I sit back like, man, that's kind of sad. If only they could self-reflect, they might actually win 2020. But they can't. So there it is. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all there. Because I'm a glutton for punishment, I am going to revisit the article, The Dangerous Rise of Men Who Won't Date Woke Women by Vicki Spratt over at Refinery29. You see, 
I've often done these videos talking about uh, um, sexual marketplaces and human mating and dating and things like that. There was a series of articles about how women who are in their early 30s and had jobs were struggling to find men who made as much money as they did. And to wrap that up, it's basically because men tend to date younger. Men also want to feel like providers too, but men tend to date younger. So if you're going to ask a guy who's 30 years old, who's now got a job, you know, he's making money, he's got a car, he's going to try and date on Tinder. It's going to skew younger. And these younger women are going to be like, hey, this guy's got a car. We can go do stuff. All right, let's get out of here. Refinery 29. This brings me to this article. It's a blog about why these women are so scared that men won't date woke women. And it's actually, I got to say, this, this article is a bit confusing because it's overly verbose and kind of misses key points. I'm not trying to be mean to uh, Yash, a- uh, Yash AF on Twitter. I'm not uh, Jacob Falkovich. It's a good article, but I'm reading through it like it, it, it kind of gets to the point where they're about to explain the idea and then it skips over. But let me just break it down for you. First, let me say, I get a bunch of flack from feminists whenever I make videos about this stuff because apparently they don't want to hear it. But it's very, very simple why women are scared, why it's dangerous that men won't date woke women. It's because woke women who can't find men who do want men will have to change their politics to become more attractive. And there and there we go. So what's actually truly fascinating about this, we can go through the whole thing and I'll come back and we'll read some of this is when he gets to the issue of Emma Sulkowitz. Now, this to me was absolutely fascinating, and I did not know this. It happened in October. So let me scroll down. You can see how long this is. You may remember Emma Sulkowitz. She's Mattress Girl. If you're not familiar with the story, she hooked up with a dude, accused him of, you know, assault, and he ended up winning because it wasn't assault. She then went and carried around her mattress throughout the school. She was featured on magazines. Lo and behold, what is going on with Emma Sulkowitz today? Well, apparently she's red-pilled, I guess. Check this article out from The Cut. Did Emma Sulkowitz get red-pilled? At the very least, she's found a new social set. Lo and behold, in the article, they talk about how she's reading Jordan Peterson. It says this, the, uh, the affair put Sulkowitz in an interesting position. On one hand, an inspiration for women survivors of assault and a symbol of believe all women. On the other hand, a reputation that is likely quite intimidating to potential sexual partners, even of the most progressive sort. And so five years after she picked up the mattress, Sulkowicz is, quote, attending house parties and happy hours with conservative and libertarian intellectuals, reading Jordan Peterson and articles from the National Review. She talks about the importance of understanding a variety of political attitudes, of listening with an open mind. What triggered this change in attitude? In Emma's own words, quote, the story starts with me being on Tinder. He was very bland, very blonde, law school, cut jawline, trapezoidal body figure, tweed suit kind of vibe. But something inside of me made me swipe right. I don't know. He says art, humor, altruism, ideology. Everything we do is guided by our psychology and our psychology evolved by sexual selection. And so everything we do is driven by the desire for reproduction, apart from actually publishing psychology papers. Ha ha ha. I think he's making a joke. It's often not the immediate cause of our actions, but it's always in the back of our brains and in the chains of cause and effect, uh, cause the chains of cause and effect guiding us something inside us, as Miss Sulkowitz says, and what our brains sense that our behavior, such as an adherence to a political ideology is costing us the mating domain. 
It's cause for internal conflict. And that brings me back to the original article, the one that was mocked by so many people, the dangerous rise of men who won't date woke women. According to this, this uh, article, Vicky Spratt, who um, let me let me actually pull this up and read what he says. Let me see this. Does he, does he mention where she's single? Let me search for single and see if uh, we can pull this up. They say Miss Spratt, the author of the article about men who won't date woke is 31 and single and quote, grateful to be financially independent and living in a time where it's acknowledged that you're better off on your own for a while than trapped in an unhappy relationship. So that is the third option. Going your own way while writing articles about the men who keep who keep out of your mating market. He says, I hope this doesn't come across as mocking. I find this genuinely sad. I strongly believe that relationships are preferable to aloneness. The predicament of Miss Spratt and her fellow progressive sisters in their 30s is a result of mating market dynamics, not of unusual malice on their part. In a sad irony, the progressive tribe is the one sounding the loudest alarm bells about the negative outcomes that arise from unchecked market dynamics. So I'll stop there. I'll make the point. Here's what I see. When you realize Emma Solkowitz has basically flipped, she saw a hot and sexy man on Tinder and she swiped right. Lo and behold, that man was, well, I don't know if he was, but she eventually found herself attracted to these men who happened to be conservative or libertarian. Unfortunately, the ideas she espoused were a net negative in mating. So if humans are mostly driven about sexual desire, then whether you look attractive or are mentally attractive, you must be the most attractive possible. In the end, we see a story about a woman who was as woke as they come, at least as the media propped her up, who's now reading, you know, watching Jordan Peterson lectures and hanging out with conservatives and libertarians. I did not know that. And they even ask if she's been red pilled. Well, I'll tell you what, if men won't date woke, then first, the first thing we get, sour grapes. You know the story of sour grapes? What is it? The old parable about the fox or whatever. And he sees the grapes up all high and he's like, ooh, juicy grapes. And he jumps and jumps, can't get them. And then he goes, you know what? Those grapes were sour anyway. And he walks away. Well, this article, I would imagine, was written because she felt that anger. Why won't these men date me? So angry. She says a story about a celebrity who says, I'm not dating those woke women. She got mad. So she calls it dangerous, literal sour grapes. There is a danger to the woke ideology that men won't date them. Now, she doesn't really bring it up. The real danger is that women who want boyfriends, who want mates, when they confront the idea that most guys in the, me- in the moderate or in the conservative side will not date them, their only option is to abandon that ideology. But here's the reality. Many of them won't actively say, my only choice is to abandon the ideology. Many of them will just naturally drift away from it when they realize they are being ostracized. In the inverse, what do we see? You ever wonder why it's, it's so many male feminists end up being abusers? They are drifting towards that ideology because they're hoping to get laid. But what happens when that ideology clashes with, with what the feminists actually want? They become abusive because they did it for one reason to get laid. And when those women wouldn't do it because they're feminists, the men who just wanted it, these male feminists, they go all out. They go nuts. They become violent. That's why there are so many of them. The other side is to just change. And you end up seeing the infamous mattress girl become red pill. This blew my mind. I swear, I didn't even know this happened. I would have loved to have done a video about this when it did happen. But October 28th, 
2019, this symbol of wokeness, the cover of what Time Magazine or whatever, carrying the mattress, believe all women, now is red pilled? That's crazy. So here's what we end up seeing. Curious. I wonder if there are men who say they won't date conservative. You don't really see it. I mean, I haven't heard that, right? Is there, is there any guy who's going around talking about how they wouldn't hook up with a conservative chick? I really doubt it. Men don't seem to be all that picky for the most part. So think about it this way. With women, they're particularly picky. With men, they're like, I'll take what I can get, except when it comes to wokeness. That's what we're starting to see. I think it's fair to say there are certain guys that'll go for anything. But when it comes to the abrasiveness of the woke ideology, it's really off-putting. But more importantly, it's these, the, these women have an ideology that is so far at odds, or I, I should probably say makes you feel so bad, you don't want to be involved with it. You could probably say something similar to, you know, diehard religious folk. The issue is the wokeness is becoming profound and, and very prominent in media. So in the end, you end up with a bunch of women who express their views, talk about it overtly in these articles, and it, it creates a very, a, 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 I guess, an awareness of this kind of fringe belief. But I'll come back to this one point, and, I, and I'll try to keep this short, I suppose. When I see this article about the dangerous rise of men who won't date, don't, won't date woke women, what I really think, my, my assumption, is that the only reason you'd call it dangerous is if you felt something, you know, visceral inside of you. You understood the experience of meeting a man who found out, like, maybe you swiped right on that attractive tweed jacket blonde guy with with a cut jawline. And you met him, said a bunch of dumb woke things, and he was like, I'm not interested. And all of a sudden you felt bad. The first reaction won't be to, to abandon your ideology. It will say, yeah, well, you're dangerous anyway. You're, you're far right. But eventually you'll realize your selection opportunities have dwindled. And many, of, and, and many of these women, whether they realize it or not, will eventually start drifting away from the ideology because it's detrimental to social life. Humans being social creatures don't want to be around this stuff. But you know what? I could probably do a much longer video on this at another point. These videos are usually short, so I'll, I'll wrap it up there. Bring on the outrage. I don't care. You can comment, say whatever you want. I will see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out. Podcast at 630. I will see you all next time.